Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time it is that you inky savages are joining me for episode number 137 of the Penboy Boy Entertainment Podcast. This week I have a special guest, and this guest is a doctor. The doctor's name is Dr. Sarah Getch, and she's a clinical psychologist, and she's super smart because she's a doctor, and she is just really well-versed in psychology and mental health. And I brought her on because I thought it would be an interesting discussion to talk about how writing journals can be good for mental health. But before I get into the episode, I do want to tell you some things. Unfortunately, our good friend, the odd oink, Tom, is not able to make it on this week's episode of the Pentertainment Podcast because he has family things that he needed to attend to, such as an away game, which is apparently a very big deal. So he will not be joining us. He sends his regards. We all love the odd oink, but we're upset with him for not being here. We forgive him, though. I want to talk about sponsorships really quick. Make sure you check out our good friends over at Goldspot Pens using the affiliate link in the description below. This is the affiliate link that helps me out when you make your purchases. You can check them out at the affiliate link below. And also, don't forget to use coupon code ROY at checkout for an additional savings on all products on the Goldspot websites. Well, not all. Some exclusions applying. While you're there, make sure you also check out the new Preppy Waz. They are here. So visit your favorite retailer, aka Goldspot, using the affiliate link below to purchase these limited edition pens before they are gone. And they will be because they're really awesome. They're preppies with designs on them. And once they're gone, they're gone forever. Now, the last time the Waz came out, they had the same line in the read. I don't think they'll be gone forever because when you have such a successfully selling product, that's really not that expensive. I think that people are going to keep buying it. And if people are going to keep buying it, then Platinum will keep making it. So take that with a grain of, grain of salt. I think that once they're gone, they'll be back. Who knows? I hope. But get them now, get them now so that way you don't have to wait for them when they are gone for the new batch to come in that will be gone as soon as they are bought out and gone forever. That's my spiel. That's not in the read at all. I just made all that stuff up because that's what I think. I don't believe that they'll be gone forever. I just think they'll be gone intermittently. But that intermittent time could feel like forever. So if you don't want to experience that almost feeling like forever sensation with the new preppy was, make sure you get them as soon as they come in. And lastly, my good friend Neil over at brlcoffeeco.com is waiting for your order for some of the top, highest quality coffee beans on the market. Check out brlcoffeeco.com and use coupon code ROY at checkout for savings on all products on the brlcoffeeco.com website. My personal favorite is Kiss of Life. It's a blonde roast and it has the highest caffeine content because it's not overly cooked. There you have darker roasts, but no matter what color, no matter what intensity roast you get, none of them will give you the crackhead jitters like the sugar-free monster energy drink that I had earlier is giving me right now. <laughs> anyway, please check out brlcoffeeco.com and use coupon code ROY at checkout. Now, this week's episode was a lot of fun. Dr. Sarah Getch is so smart and at the same time gorgeous. And it just makes for an awesome podcast. Stay tuned. There's no potty mouth words because I was on my best behavior. So 
Thank you for joining us for episode number 137 of the Penboy Boy Entertainment Codcap. Cod, Codpast. I've done that before. Podcast. So there's no potty mouse word, so no forewarning. You're not warned. Now on to the podcast. The Penboy Roy Entertainment Podcast. Stage 7. And thank you again, ladies and gentlemen, for joining us for episode number 137 of the Penboy Roy Entertainment Podcast. Now this week is going to be extra cool. Because I got some big brains. I'm talking Bruce Banner type brains on the show today. We have Dr. Sarah Getch. She comes out of Kansas City. And I've dealt with her before and she's very, very intelligent and very well educated and knowledgeable and very humble also. And in the area of psychology and mental health. So Dr. Sarah Getch, thank you for doing this. I really appreciate you being on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. My pleasure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself, like your background or or sure. your educational background? Sure. So I have a doctorate in clinical psychology. So that means that I can uh, call myself a psychologist. I'm also a licensed clinician. So that's the other piece. So you have a doctorate, you have a license, and um, that way uh, you can use that title, psychologist. That's a it's a it's an important distinction. Uh, and so let's see, what else can I tell you? I came out of a program at Illinois Institute of Technology, and then I moved on to Northwestern, where I completed my internship and postdoctoral fellowship. I went into academia. Uh, I fell in love with teaching. Then I started to um, really like building programs. So I came to Kansas City uh, to build a brand new clinical psychology program. And uh, we just graduated our first cohort this past May. So. Uh, it's been a really exciting journey coming from Chicago to Kansas City. We we really like it. Mm. It must have been like really difficult to study for all that doctor stuff, right? Uh, you know, I am a nerd and I really like to learn. I like to learn all the time. And so graduate school was awesome. <laughs> you actually enjoyed yeah, it was the best time. It was great. I mean, there were parts of it that were hard and there are things that I wouldn't want to do again. But the fact that I still am in academia tells you how much I liked graduate school. I haven't ever really left, truthfully. So you actually are, you teach and you practice psychology. So I haven't practiced since I'm, I am licensed to practice in Kansas and Missouri and Illinois, but I haven't practiced since I moved to uh, Kansas City. Um, mm -hmm. I just didn't have time for it anymore. I see. Yeah, the reason why I found it fascinating, I find you fascinating and what you do for a living fascinating is because I think clinical psychology and the hobby of writing and fountain pens are kind of linked. And the reason why I say that is because during the whole pandemic two years ago, a lot of people were stuck at home and some people just didn't know what to do with themselves. They got frustrated. They watched a lot of TV, a lot of Netflix, but a lot of people in the fountain pen community, which is the community that I serve, they resorted to spending all this extra money that they're not spending on vacations, it's money that they're not spending on restaurants, and they would just buy more fountain pens, more paper, and they would journal. And I found that that was very helpful because we always learn, we're always told, hey, Keep a journal. It's mentally healthy. Would you agree with that statement that it's healthy mentally to journal and write? I think that journaling can be a really important tool 
for various reasons. So for some people, it's more expressive writing that they get some positive uh, reinforcement out of, they get something out of that way. Um, but for other people, they're focused on maybe more specific tasks like a gratitude list, for example, um, or uh, writing about a specific person um, that they want to be thinking about as sort of a devotional of sorts, right? So there are all of these different ways that you can utilize writing as a tool and you know, journaling is sort of the umbrella under which all of these really cool things sit. Mm -hmm. Now, when I say writing, I'm actually talking about writing in the most literal sense possible in that I'm talking about taking a pen. Well, for us in particular, a fountain pen in particular, not a ballpoint pen. What we do with those is we, we throw them out the window <laughs> we or we make spitballs, spitball shooters out of them. Those are, those actually are really good. Some people make crack pipes out of them. Well, what I talk about is I'm actually using a pen and I'm actually writing. Some people consider journaling and writing as typing. Do you think that there is a difference when it comes to coping mechanism or learning or something cognitively when someone is typing a journal out or studying typing out stuff versus handwriting it? Yes, there is absolutely a difference. Uh, so there has been quite a bit of research to examine what happens in the brain when you are handwriting versus typing. Mm -hmm. And what they have found pretty consistently is that the best way to learn and encode information is when you are handwriting. Um, this, I mean, there's lots of other avenues that sort of came off of that finding. And so we can talk more about this if you like, but there is absolutely a, a benefit to handwriting over typing. Mm. Is there, you said that there were studies done that mm -hmm. constantly prove it. What kind of studies? are those studies? Oh, so in this one particular study that I'm thinking about, it was in Frontiers in Psychology, and I can look up the reference later and give it to you so you can provide it to people, but uh, they examined uh, people who were uh, handwriting versus typing versus drawing, you know, um, almost mm -hmm. like, uh, what's that game that you play where you have to draw the, the shape and then you guess it? Not charades, but the other one. Pictionary? Anyway. Pictionary, yeah. So you're basically using uh, a picture to for language in that moment. Uh, so they compared these three groups over these different cognitive tests. So right, so some of them were using their handwriting to learn, some of them were typing to learn, and then others had to draw pictures. And then they tested them. And the group that always did the best was the group who had been doing the handwriting. Um, mm. And so that really speaks to how we encode information, how, how easy it is for re us to retain that, and then also mm. recall it. And those are really good skills that you want to have, right? Mm -hmm. What is it about the experience of handwriting versus typing that is that encodes information better in the brain? So uh, it's interesting. This is what I found to be the most interesting part of this research is, well, there's t a couple things happening. The first thing that's happening is you, as you are handwriting and ma you're manipulating each letter, uh, that movement is later going to serve as a cue for what you have just uh, written about. So you, uh, when we are able to cue ourselves in our environment, we remember better, we recall better, right? So. Um, when you are handwriting, you're actually creating those cues that those specific strokes for each one of those letters 
and that serves as a, an important component. But then there's another piece that they found that happens in the brain that's super cool. And uh, that is that when you are handwriting, it activates a specific pattern in the brain and it, and it opens up the brain for learning, basically, is how these uh, neuroscientists were explaining it. And this is the same pattern that they have seen in other studies that are looking at memory and encoding. They've seen this mm. same pattern. So they know that these two things uh, are related. So what these researchers are saying is that, you know, not only are you going to encode better, you're actually going to learn. This is opening a specific or uh, causing a specific neurological chain reaction to mm -hmm. help you learn better and encode information better. That's really interesting. So basically, correct me if I'm wrong, what you're saying is by writing, the experience of writing, that moment of physical writing will actually kind of activate a certain part of your brain. And yeah. that moment of writing gets better imprinted into your, into your brain. Yes, and what actually what's happening is it's not just activating one part of your brain, it's activating multiple parts of your brain. So we're talking about your motor cortex because you're moving. We're talking about your visual cortex because you're looking and then all of your language centers too. So this is called sensory motor integration. And this mm -hmm. is an excellent tool for learning. The more sensory, more pieces of our sensory, of our body that we use to learn, the better we are going to be able to encode information as well. So it's... I mean, it's really hitting on a lot of very specific pieces that are key to learning for humans. Mm. It's called sensory motor integration. Yep. Sensory so motor that means you move and you feel something and then you won't learn something. Is that kind of yep. a layman, right. good layman's way of? So uh, in our motor cortex, we're actually, you know, moving the pen and making those shapes. We're also visually watching those shapes happen. So we know visually and our, and then our motor skills, the physical writing component, those things are what is being uh, integrated. And then all of our learning networks as well. And this is something that's proven like neurologists actually saw this happening in the brain. Yeah, I think that one of the most common way for them to, well, one of the ways to be able to see these brain patterns is the use of uh, specific EEG machines. And I'm not a neuropsychologist, so I can't really speak to uh, that component, but um, that's what I saw when I was looking in the literature. Mm. Do you have experience with both methods of learning? I'm sure you have, like, have you also, at, separate from this study, have you said to yourself or during the course of your million years of studying doctor stuff and millions of pages, did you ever study with a pen and paper and say, oh, this is working far better than last week when I was typing everything out? Well, first of all, I'm old. <laughs> so <laughs> I think the way that I did it is probably way different than how my students do it right now. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I always wrote, hand wrote my notes. I mm -hmm. always, I would, <laughs> I would outline every chapter as I was reading because mm -hmm. I knew that I, then I was doing a few things for myself. I was connecting where the words were on that page with my uh, handwritten outline. And that was a really great memory cue mm -hmm. uh, for me. So I've always been a handwriter. And I will say though, um, I know that things have 
change. Oh, you know what I needed to add? Um, is that in one of the studies, they even looked at, uh, you know how there are these, um, you know how people sometimes use tablets and uh, like the uh, iPen? Mm -hmm. uh, well, in this particular study, they also showed that this, you don't get the same effects from writing on the electronic tablet that you do when really? you're writing on paper. Yeah. So it was really specific to writing with a pen and paper and you're not getting the same results on the tablet, which I thought was super fascinating. Well, that is fascinating. So you're telling me the physical act of writing alone isn't what's scoring the points. It's actually using a pen on an actual piece yeah. of paper. Well, I, I would... thought about that. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, 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 please go ahead. You thought about it. Well, I, I thought about that. Say. And it's like a, it's a, if you think about it, it's a totally different sensory experience, right? Mm -hmm. Gliding that pen over glass feels totally different. It, it feels foreign to me as for, I mm -hmm. can't feel my, the strokes of the letters that I know. Does that make sense? So sure. maybe other people feel the same way and you're not encoding. I could see how you would not be encoding information the same way. Wow, that's actually really interesting. I thought, I didn't know that until now. I thought that if you, as long as you're physically writing something, whether it be a pen on paper or a eye pencil on glass, that since you're writing that you would learn stuff. Well, I at just, least I, not in this particular study. That's, mm -hmm. uh, but I haven't looked more uh, broadly, but I mean, we can, and we can find out more information, but that was pretty clear in, in this one particular study. That's pretty cool. I mean, somebody studied that, so that, that's actually interesting. I'm, I hope that they delve deeper into that because that triggered more questions in my skinny little noodle. And that was, if that's the case, does, does the writing experience have to be more apparent in order for it to be more effective? Meaning if I wrote with a ballpoint pen and I have to press down hard just to get that oil-based ink to lay a line on paper versus using God's gift to earth, the fountain pen. And it has more, <laughs> it has more of a pleasant writing experience. Would the ballpoint pen be more effective in learning or would the fountain pen be more effective in learning? It's, that's an interesting question. What would your, that what are your thoughts on that? That? Is, that is an interesting question. I mean, that's a research question that I don't know the answer to. Uh, mm. I don't know if anybody's really taken that deep of a dive into going beyond tablet versus uh, pen on paper mm -hmm. uh, writing. Uh, but a lot of that research is that great research comes out of our speech and language pathology friends in academia. Mm -hmm. uh, and, um, you know, sometimes the, these techniques as specifically cursive writing are used to uh, treat learning disorders. So this is sort of how that field took some of this on and, and we know what we know. But then there are other other labs that are studying it, uh, more psychology oriented labs as well. You mentioned cursive specifically just now to treat mm -hmm. disorders. What kind of disorders are you talking about? Um, I, and I'm not a speech and language pathologist, but my understanding is that it, it is often used uh, to uh, as a um, tool to treat mm -hmm. dyslexia. Uh, so oh, wow. um, I think that because the cursive uh, strokes all start at the base of the uh, line, if you will, and then they all are connected. It's easier to spell that way without flipping the letters. Again, I'm not a speech and language pathologist, but that's right. what I had uh, read about it. So that's just one oh, wow. example where cursive can be really useful. 
Yeah, sure, 100%. I think that, unfortunately, just because of technology, technology in terms of typing and texting, cursive is kind of becoming a lost art. I think yeah. schools aren't teaching it as much. And do you think that as time progresses and the more technological advanced or dependent we become, do you think that there's going to be a greater need for, I guess, mental health for people? Well, I mean, I think that's certainly the trend that we've seen so far. Um, mm -hmm. That's what we're seeing play out in the literature. That's what we have been seeing with the pandemic, that that kind of isolation is can be really damaging for people um, and their mental health. So, so much anxiety and, and depression wrapped up in that pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I think that we're, we're seeing that there's a trend there, but I don't think we know exactly how it all interacts and why it might be so, why technology might be, this kind of technology might be so potentially dangerous. Um, mm -hmm. if, I, if I had to guess, like what was the answer in the end my answer would be like, it's every answer ever would be like, it's all about moderation, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like we can have things that make our lives easier and we can enjoy technology, but there's something about human interaction that's just super important. So mm -hmm. we need to have both. Right, I agree with you on the whole moderation aspect, except for fountain pens. I think that there's no such thing <laughs> as moderation. I think that I think when it comes to fountain pens, like if you have to mortgage a house, you have to do it just to get yourself just that for next. the record. I'm not endorsing that statement. <laughs> <laughs> I do not stand by it. Please don't mortgage <laughs> So if anybody is mortgaging your house to get a new grail pen, it's not because of Dr. Sarah Getch. No, I have nothing to do with it. <laughs> so going, going back to what was it called? The sensory motor integration? Is that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Is that what I said? That was correct. Mm -hmm. So right. is there more that you can add to sensory motor integration other than just writing? For example, if the physical act of writing is giving your brain cues to more openly learn things than if you're typing, then wouldn't it behoove someone to add more sensory cues? Like for example, if while I'm writing, I'm eating M&Ms and I love M&Ms, then wouldn't the act of eating M&Ms add to the sensory cues? Yes, um, I think that it would, but I don't know enough about that topic specifically to tell you if there is a capacity that you reach and then it's not helpful anymore, you know? Right. Like, I have no idea. Um, but if you think about classical conditioning and you think about, you know, everybody's has heard of Pavlov and his dog, right? Um, mm -hmm. And you think about it that way, you don't need so many cues to make a behavior happen. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't think it's about the number. I think it's about the integration. That's probably the most important aspect of that. But again, I see not a neuropsychologist. Right. Who's Pavlog and what happened to his dog? <laughs> Ian Pavlog. For those of us who don't know. No, Ian Pavlog was a, a scientist. Uh -huh. uh, and um, he was actually uh, studying the stomach. Uh, he wasn't mm -hmm. a psychologist at all, and he was studying stomach acid, and so he was studying it in dogs, and he noticed that 
when he had the dog, before the food even came out, when the dog heard a certain noise that they heard every time before the food came out, uh, the dog started to salivate, which is the first step in digestion, which is what he was studying in the stomach, right? Mm -hmm. And he was like, whoa, wait a second. I can get this dog to react a very specific way with just a sound, not the mm -hmm. actual dog food itself. And it sort of sparked this whole field of, you know, behaviorism where we have then all of our behaviors that come out and teach us what we know about learning and, and behavior from that specific standpoint. And then, you know, we evolve in psychology to include a lot more about the brain and uh, all of our neuropsychology friends who are and cognitive friends who are contributing into that piece of how we learn. But a behavioral po uh, component is super huge. And so that's what happened to Pavlov and his dogs. Probably not good things for dogs because animals in research at that time, not oh, a good situation. Yeah. No, not for the animals. Rough, no. rough times for, still is. Still so, is, still is. You know, you said you did all your note taking when you were studying and nerding out. You said you, everything by hand yeah. and paper. Did you have a particular favorite pen? Is this the part of the podcast where you hang up on me because I don't own a fountain pen? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Listen, a lot of people don't because, you know, they just don't know any better. So they have <laughs> an experience. Right. I don't it. know any yeah. better. <laughs> we're we're going to change that. Unfortunately, I... this week, my, my co-host had some important family stuff that he had to attend to. He, his name is Tom. I wish he were here because he'd be fascinated with this conversation. He, his son has what's called an away game for soccer. And apparently this is a really big deal. I don't have kids, so I don't know what he's talking about, but it was- You're really was unfamiliar like, with the term away game? I know that it means it's not home, right? <laughs> yes, yes. I'm just yes. like, well, why, why can't your wife take him to the away game that, you know, like- oh, I'll tell you why, I'll tell you why, I will tell you why. Okay. Which I understand why you why you're not there yet, or maybe you don't even want to be there someday. That's fine too. But when watching my kids play mm -hmm. in their sport or do what makes them happy mm -hmm. is the it's the best thing in my whole life. Like I could I want to quit my job and watch them do these things, right? Like wow. it's just so amazing to watch them do what it, they're so good at. So, and then uh -huh. they love, so that's, that's why he has to go to the away game. That's why I would have just told him, Hey, Tom, tell your son, he sucks at it. That way he doesn't enjoy it as much. And then you can do the podcast. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Everybody... <laughs> I'm just kidding. I bust Tom's chops all the time. Yeah. But so when it comes to the psychology of writing and, and mental health aspects, right? Do you think that that coping mechanism during the pandemic would be more effective than other things that people have done to cope? And I'm not even sure what other people have, like if I sat and binged Stranger Things within a four day period, which I did, and as opposed to writing, why would writing be more cope worthy than binging stranger things so i think that in that specific situation remember how i was talking about writing you know journaling is the umbrella under which all of these really cool techniques sit under 
I think mm -hmm. in that specific situation, I would be wanting you to journal and write something like a gratitude journal, um, something that's really focused on uh, positive, the positive pieces or interactions that mm -hmm. you had in that day. Um, because we would want to be turning you towards that positivity, especially if you're having mm -hmm. a, a tough time uh, during the pandemic. Also retraining your brain to pay attention to those positive things too. So I guess um, if you just sat down and journaled and, and you just ruminated, right? And you just wrote down like every nasty thought that you ever had about yourself, I don't mm -hmm. think that would be very good use of your time during the pandemic. Um, mm -hmm. But I do think that if you are in the habit of journaling as it is, adding a few of these little positive techniques could be really useful. I mean, why not? You're half, mm -hmm. you're halfway there. You already do the writing. Mm -hmm. So I, interesting thing that you said, you want to gear the brain or train the brain to focus on positive stuff Yeah. instead of focusing all the negative stuff. Yeah. Then how would somebody, I guess, acknowledge and break down the negative stuff without I'm mean, rather let me rephrase the question how would we fo how do you focus on positive stuff to gear your brains to focus on positive stuff without ignoring the negative stuff that can creep up and catch up with you later because I know that happens a lot to people um well catch up and I'm, I'm caught up on your words of uh, catch up to you creep up on you later let me, um, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Okay. So you dealing, when you're dealing with someone who experienced, let's say childhood traumas or even midlife traumas, adulthood traumas, a lot of times we have a habit of disconnecting with our own personal feelings about something bad. So what we say to ourselves oftentimes is, let me just not think about this. Let me just think about something else that I like. Let me not think about the rude lady at the DMV and let me think about something else. And then you stop thinking about that, but the feeling kind of still stays there. You might forget the memory, but the feeling kind of stays in the background. And then over time, you get so many of those feelings staying in the background that you go home and your son or daughter or your wife or your husband comes up to you and then you snap at them. Unrelated to anything that they did, you just kind of have all those negative feelings built up. Yeah. So my question, I guess, is how would you recommend someone, whether they're journaling or, journaling or not, approach those negative things and break them down so they don't come up and make you snap at somebody later? So I think that what I would encourage them to do would be to pay attention to any negative thinking pat patterns that they might be journaling about. So they might be able to go through their journal and identify some um, thoughts that we might call uh, in my field automatic thoughts. These are some thoughts that we express um, and they are inherently negative um, mm -hmm. and but unjustly, uh, unjustifiably negative, but that's not how we're seeing it in that moment. We're seeing it, this particular negative thought. So. You know, an example of something like that might be that uh, you are walking down the street and you see your neighbor and you wave to your neighbor and you're pretty sure that your neighbor sees you, but your neighbor does not wave back. Mm -hmm. And you could have a couple different reactions to this, right? 
you could have a reaction where you think that, oh, oh my God, my neighbor's mad at me. I guess we're not friends anymore. Uh, you could really sort of start to think all kinds of negative things. That guy's such a jerk. Uh, I, I can't believe that he would treat me that way after I mowed his lawn. I don't know. I don't know how bad it's going to get in this moment, but mm -hmm. you're having this big negative reaction. But what I would start to say is, uh, let's take a pause on that negative reaction and let's examine the evidence. What are some other possible reasons why your neighbor didn't wave at you? Should we jump to he hates you and you should murder him? No, I, I don't think that that's really a logical conclusion that we should jump to. Uh, so, mm -hmm. and that was an extreme example. Um, but Murder's I would bad, folks. Murder. Dr. Is also <laughs> not encouraging not, or not endorsing murder. murder. So she doesn't endorse mur mortgaging your house for pens and she does Number not endorse one. murdering. Yeah. <laughs> we'll release a list later. <laughs> right. All the things she does not endorse, starting with mortgaging everything you own for pens and murdering your neighbor for not waving at you. Okay. So. Uh, but, so no, you can start to identify those thinking patterns and then you can start to challenge those thoughts and you can start to say, what kind of evidence do I have? for this thought that I've been entertaining and let, let it ruin my day. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one of the ways that I would sort of start to examine what you're writing and how you can use it for your own mental health. Mm. So I, I'm, this might sound very ignorant, but is not writing it down or something negative like that, or identifying negative thought patterns, how is that different than just ignoring and suppressing? Well, um, what I would you say is ignoring and suppressing, I would say is avoiding. Mm -hmm. And uh, avoidance is not a long term solution. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, avoidance does not rid us of what we need to what hurts. Mm -hmm. or uh, what we are afraid to tackle. Like it, it's mm -hmm. not, just not a long-term solution. Mm -hmm. it, so, yeah, think, so about, how think would... about the impact of uh, avoidance mm -hmm. and how far it mm -hmm. could take you, right? Right, uh, so avoidance you... is no good then. Right, it's no good. I don't endorse that right. either. <laughs> Third thing that Dr. Getch does not endorse <laughs> is avoidance. So I guess my question is, wouldn't not writing down negative thought patterns or not writing down like, oh, I want to punch my neighbor in the face or I want to do number two of the thing that Dr. Getch doesn't recommend or endorse. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be avoidance? Yeah. I mean, if you, well, I mean, it's a form of it, but it's a pretty higher level functioning form of it. You know, most of the time mm -hmm. avoidance doesn't, always reside up here in your brain it's it's more about your um your behaviors mm. and but i mean i yeah is there any time where you would think it's a good idea for someone to just be really upset about something come home and fill 10 pages of of journal pages with their fine fountain pen not a ballpoint pen Disclaimer. Right, obviously. With, and, um, and write all those negative things down. Would, would you say that there's ever a time where that's helpful versus not helpful? Um, I think that for some people that could be a useful strategy. And I don't know if that's everybody, but I think 
for some people that could be a useful strategy, that type of expressive writing. Um, mm -hmm. But I think that if you continue to do that and you're not feeling better, then that's not working and we need to think about doing something else. Right. I think that when I was in high school, like a thousand years ago, what I found was I would be really upset and I would just start writing in a notebook all the things I'm upset about. And then it just turns out to be like two dozen pages of things that you don't endorse. So, <laughs> oh, <no>. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I was just like, would be very upset. And then I found after a time that I think you're right in the sense that it didn't help me because it didn't really guide or gauge me to do anything positive in its place. Yeah. So I definitely agree that it's not always helpful. Have you <clears throat> ever in dealing with patients, have you ever suggested journaling or, or writing? Well, yes. Um, so sometimes when we are working with um, patients who may have experienced some type of trauma, um, mm -hmm. part of that treatment is exposure to the uh, components of that particular event. Uh, and that can be really difficult. And so sometimes we have to really ease into being able to process that event the way that it should be processed without any of those negative thoughts uh, that, are, that have, are now all wrapped up and tied up in that trauma. Um, so sometimes we have to expose these individuals to that. It can be so intense that maybe one of the ways that we begin to even talk about it is writing. Maybe we can just write. Maybe we'll just write one page to begin with, and then maybe when we get a little more comfortable, we'll use four pages to describe the event, right? And mm -hmm. so that's a, a different, completely different situation than what you were describing about coming home and spending that time sort of ruminating about those thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, this is where we've been avoiding all of them for a very long time. And uh, now we actually need to work through them through that exposure process. Wow, that's that's deep. It's a Jeez. it's difficult. It's really difficult work, and the people who do it are are so brave. They're so brave mm. to have to Can sit you... with that. And I mean, essentially, it's retelling your story, retelling mm. your story, retelling your story, retelling your story, in lots of different modalities until we can put away each of those negative thoughts that you have that you've just, you know, put down here, buried inside of you and believed for so long. And they're just not accurate. They're just not. And that's what we'll do. We just pull it apart, piece it apart and poke holes in it and say, this story that you've told yourself about this event, those negative things about yourself, mm -hmm. they're just, they're just not accurate. What's the, What's the end game for that? They just discover that this whole thing that they were afraid of is not real. No, they don't have to be like, afraid or. No, it's more like you create a different narrative that mm -hmm. is more aligned with uh, an interpretation that isn't so negative. It's not that it didn't happen. You're not, you know, pushing it away. You're not, it's not that you aren't honoring it. No, I think being able to retell it in a way that honors that event and what it, the impact it had on you, but then also come out on the other side, how mm -hmm. you used it and turned it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's the narrative that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. I see. 
That's interesting. Did you know, I, you wouldn't know this, for some reason, my whole life, I've had this irrational, intense fear of grizzly bears, right? For real? Yeah, for real. Like, for some reason, grizzly bears terrify me because if you've read about, like, grizzly bear attacks, they just, like, hold you down and they eat you from your guts while you're still alive. They're not like Do lions you... or tigers. Are you often in situations where you have to worry about grizzly bears? No. I live in Queens, <laughs> New York. The chances of me encountering a grizzly bear are so far and few between. Like, I'm not going in Yellowstone yeah. National Park, ever. But sometimes, mm -hmm. like, I'll take this journal, right? And I'll just start writing about what scares me about grizzly bears. And... Tell me if this is not helpful. Well, that's interesting. What do you write? I want to know. What are the details? Well, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna read from that book, but I oh, can come summarize. On, man. Yeah. You dangle it out there. <laughs> right. So one of the things that I'm afraid of is what if I get attacked by a grizzly bear and I'm with my wife yeah. and the bear starts like attacking me. I'm afraid of my wife having to watch a grizzly bear eat her husband alive. Two, I'm afraid of like the grizzly bear eating me, not being satisfied and going after my wife. So then like I, I made the dumb mistake of watching a movie called The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, right. yes. okay. And so this one, this didn't help my fears at all. I thought maybe watching him survive the grizzly bear attack would help. Nope. And then I watched another movie called The Backwoods. Have you ever heard this movie? backwards no no okay so this idiot decides he's gonna propose to his <laughs> wife somewhere at this like romantic spot in yellowstone park and he, they end up getting lost so they camp but then a grizzly bear eats him it's probably the worst grizzly bear eating a person alive scene that i've seen in a movie ever and that didn't help but i write about it all the time and i talk i write about how like terrifying it would be to like have a grizzly bear because the Grizzly bear is the most powerful mammal and terrestrial creature on the planet. And I feel like that's do. a bold statement. That is a bold statement about the grizzly What's bear. What's that? Well, what do you think is more powerful than the grizzly bear? That it's the most powerful terrestrial animal on the planet? Yeah. I don't know, Mammal. Man. Mammal. Cause... I don't know, man. I, I mean, you got the lion out there. The lion's, lion's pretty tough. What about a hippo? You're completely discounting the hippo. Good point. But when it comes to pure raw strength, the grizzly bear is stronger than a hippo. Though what? hippos what? kill How more people. How do you people. know this? Is there like a world's strongest grizzly bear show that I haven't, yes. I haven't seen? <laughs> I don't know. But I know that it's true because I, uh, I think The Rock said it in a movie. Right. I think it was and, called you know. Rampage. And it's got to be true if The Rock said it. So We should email him and see. <laughs> right. We'll get no response whatsoever. <laughs> I was actually shocked that you showed up on the show. I was I emailed you. Oh, come on. Well, you're you're kind of famous. You've been on like the news and TV, and I recognize the little things you have in the background over there. That's when you were on like what was it? Channel two? Was it channel two or channel four? Remember. Probably I think channel four, channel. right? Close. Oh wait, no, you're thinking about channel two. Yeah, we were on channel two as well. Yeah. yeah. That, um, that was cool. That I remember watching that about you about a, a month ago. And you were talking about mental health and coping with stuff at the same time. I wonder which one remember? that was. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, do you, I, um, you've done so many. 
Yeah, about every, uh, once a month, I think. Uh, Therapy Thursdays on Fox Four. It's really mm-hmm. fun. Like the, mm-hmm. I really, it truly enjoy the um, hosts. Um, mm-hmm. I used to uh, not like one of the hosts. Um, mm-hmm. He was just kind of wild. <laughs> what do you he mean would wild? Just, he would just go in directions that were completely not what we were supposed to be talking about that day. Oh. And that's really unnerving, you know, to have somebody just take you down a, a tangent. Uh, so like one time I was there to talk about uh, anxiety and reducing mm-hmm. anxiety. And all of a sudden he starts asking me like, hey, do you think, what do you think about people who take those little red pills? Those little red pills, you know, those amphetamines, that you, re- you know, really amp you up. And I was like, I don't recommend amphetamines. Right. <laughs> and, that's, uh, number, that's number four of the things right? that Dr. Getch does not endorse. <laughs> do not take I mean, illicit amphetamines. No, imagine every time you go out to talk about something, there is a piece of you that is still convinced that you don't know anything, that you're not qualified and that you shouldn't be there. So mm-hmm. if you take that little piece with you and then you have some Yahoo asking wild questions that you can't answer, right. <laughs> it really feeds it feeds that demon. So he's not there anymore, which is a little disappointing because he was so wild. That made it interesting. But uh, the don't, other you hate it. don't you hate it when you end up on a show to talk about one thing and then you travel down a path and you're talking about being eaten alive by grizzly bears? I don't. Like, that's the kind of thing <laughs> I want to listen to. <laughs> that's called a conversation, you know? Right. Wait, so was he was he asking about Adderall? Was that no, he was, he was asking about fentermine or, like, I don't know, some little red pills, some stimulant mm. that he was talking about. And it also happened to be um, Heart Health Month. So it just wasn't it, – it wasn't the best recommendation. Yeah. 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 Maybe not talk about stuff like that stuff that caused your heart to explode when you're talking about heart health month. Yeah. No, I I think that's a terrible idea. Yeah. You know, what's also a terrible idea. I don't usually drink this stuff, but I had a sugar free monster energy drink. Oh, and yeah, yeah, that's that stuff. I'm a uh, sugar free Red Bull kind of girl. Oh yeah. So Mm -hmm. I haven't had one in a very long time. So I got home earlier and I was nervous about this interview this podcast and I I thought you know what maybe I'll take a nap uh like about take a 10 15 minute nap before the podcast this was me on my couch I couldn't do it the the (laughs) amphetamine like effect that a monster energy drink has is not the right way to cope with nerves right I do not endorse that but so far we got a good list we got we got a list of things you don't endorse we got one don't mortgage your house to buy fountain pens, which I don't agree with. I endorse that. Two, if your neighbor doesn't wave at you, do not murder said neighbor. No murder. No murder. Right. That's right. Three, I can't remember what the third one was. Do you remember that one? Oh, no. 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 We lost it. Yeah. It's gone. Yeah, I know. Three, you know, I should have wrote it down. Of all people, not we'll to write remember. down. I didn't It'll write come down. back up. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. It'll come back. But going going back to my question, when you were in college and you're studying, do you have a go to pen that you like in particular? Uh, yes, I do. I actually have one right here. Uh, I don't know if you're gonna like it, but it's just like a felt tipped pen. Hmm. <laughs> I've honestly never felt more judged in my entire life. <laughs> Listen, 
Doctor, I am not judging you. I am judging your pen. I can take it. I can take it. I can take the heat. I can take it. (laughs) No, but here's what Tom and I, who's Tom, who's not here because he has this important soccer game for his son. Away game. In the rain. Yeah, the the away game. We're going to make sure that we get you a fountain pen. Something that is compensatory to your field. Something that represents a clinical psychologist. Oh, I'm very nervous about this. Yeah. So, you know, courtesy of Goldspot Pens, who's the sponsor of this podcast, one of the sponsors of this That's podcast. So we're nice. gonna send, yeah, we're going to send you out a fountain pen because I really feel as though, like, for all the brilliance that you attained, you attained it without the benefit of and the pleasure of being able to attain it. Meaning, like, I remember when I was studying. No, you're school, right. Yeah. What could I have been? You know what I mean? I mean, you might have been more than a, like, you could have been a, what, what's above a doctor, like a doctorate, like, right? So Astrophysicist like, or something. You could have no. been an astrophysicist in psychology. Does that make any sense at all? <laughs> <laughs> because you can study some of the most boring stuff. And if you're taking notes with a fountain pen, the experience then goes from being boring study session to an amazing writing session. But the only thing you have to be careful of is you go from focusing on what you're writing about to how you're writing and then you get too wrapped up in that but i think you have enough mm-hmm. knowledge in your brain where if i send you a pen you're going to be able to utilize it in beneficial and positive ways so are you saying that you're going to identify one that is specific to our discussion about pens my field mm-hmm. sort of like my you're going to pick it in that way for me yes i love that i love that you want to know I'm, why it feels like when Harry Potter gets his wand, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's specialized just for mm-hmm. him. So I'm pretty thrilled about that. Oh, good. Good. I'm glad. Is your favorite color red? Uh, no. Oh, what is your favorite color? <laughs> My favorite color is green. Oh, me too. Look, I'm, I'm not making that up right now. Anybody who no. listens to this podcast knows that my favorite color is green. I only ask if it's red because your nails are red and your the top half of your shirt is red. Well, yeah. <laughs> Can't but argue the curse, But the curse of somebody whose favorite color is green is typically wearing it isn't the best. No, I never like, wear it. Options. No. Right. No. Yeah, I never wear green also. No, Though it's, it's not great color. for me, but mm-hmm. I, I, that's what I want to look at. You know, mm-hmm. I, I find it very pleasing to see that. It's probably why I like baseball. It's just so mm. nice to look at, you know? And the f- field is green, I guess? In baseball, yes. The field is yes. green in baseball. And some, some stadiums have other green elements, like the mm. ivy. Yeah. yeah. Is there a psychological connection between a person's favorite color and like their personality? No, I don't think so. People will try to say that, but it's, you can't, it's not consistent. Yeah, you can't really prove no. it. No. I saw on Meet the Fockers that green <laughs> means, I can't remember what it means. The green means you're a genius. So it was on oh, Meet the Fockers. Oh, that must be true. Yeah, so Robert De Niro's character said it, so it's therefore got to be true, right? But there's right. no actual... Is there any actual study that shows colors affect a person in, in uh, any yes. consistent way? I mean, way? There's, some, there's some research. Okay, so not like your your preference for a color has some impact, but there at least is some research out there that talks about 
how paint color impacts people, especially paint in hospitals. So there's actually been research to show that um, those stark white walls don't make people happy or feel or feel better. So warmer colors are supposed to be better. I don't know. I'm, there's a whole. This is a whole field. People have a whole. Mm. There's a whole world around this type of information. I you know I'd be interested to look more into that because if I I'd want to know what it is that colors do to people. Like why is it people wear red lipstick instead of blue lipstick or green lipstick? Right? And there's so much there though. Like now you're mm -hmm. yeah. There's all of the other societal components that are tied up and what's acceptable and what's not. There's gotta be some coral I just wrote your name on a on a on a pad, right? Yeah. But there's got to be some correlation with green, people who love green and genius, just like it said on Meet the Fockers, because I like green, you like green, you're brilliant. I'm two data kinda... points, that's all we <laughs> Right. <laughs> right. Nailed like, it like, with right, two just... data points. <laughs> right. You know, so, I mean, it's it can't be coincidence. No. So... You know what? Write it up. We should write it up. We should submit it for publication. I think we're gonna we're gonna break records with the so. number number of times people. I think so. This. Yeah, between your expertise and my lack of expertise, it's kind of like a yin and yang, and I think that the study will go pretty far, right? <laughs> yeah. Yes. No doubt. How how could it not? So oh. you know, you being a doctor, you know so much about stuff, and I know you don't know a lot about fountain pens, but let's just just for funsies, oh, tell no, me what you know busy. about fountain. Yeah, just tell me what you know about. You could do the same thing to me about psychology. I'll bomb harder than you'll bomb on the fountain pen thing. So, but tell me what you know about fountain pens. What do you think they are? Um, I don't really know the mechanics of a fountain pen. Okay, mm -hmm. I know that there's some element at the tip that makes it special and how, and how the ink is wicked to it. And then it changes uh -huh. how you write, but I couldn't tell you anything else beyond that. Mm. Does it surprise you to know that the fountain pen community and hobby is so large and vast, even though it's a niche hobby, there are so many people that they, there are dozens and dozens of yearly shows that go on. They're massive. People come from all over the world. Like, for example, on the 15th in 11 days, today being the 4th, on the 15th, actually the 14th, 15th, and 16th in Long Island, New York, people will fly across the country to come to this fountain pen show. It's actually called the Long Island Pen Show. And what ends up happening is, yeah, we have vendors that show up there. They pay whatever they have to pay to have a table. They display their pens. You got a lot of vintage pen sellers, meaning they'll have a pen that's made in like 1910 and they'll have a collection of them. They'll come and bring them. And this happens every year and people flood the place. People pay money for entrance. They go there, they look at pens, they buy pens and stuff like that. It's a huge hobby. Wow. It's yeah. I had no idea. It's, yeah. It's such a huge hobby that I'm actually, I actually have a podcast about it. I have a YouTube channel where I, talk about pens and I review the pens and stuff like that. I have okay. relationships with pretty much every major 
retailer and manufacturer in the US and outside the US. I've, it's, it's kind of actually fascinating. Yeah, you built a little I hope... a community, like a serious community here. That's great. Yeah, it is. It, it's a huge community. And like I said before, Tom is going to send to you over in Kansas City a care package with a fountain pen in it. And it's going to have some green elements to you to it because now that okay. you told me your favorite color is green, we're going to make sure that something in there is green. Maybe the pen, maybe the ink, who knows? But who knows? Surprise. I, yeah, I can't wait to send it to you and I can't wait to hear your thoughts and opinions on would this be your first fountain pen? If you when you receive this, will this be your first fountain? I, pen? I have to say yes. I mean, I can't tell you if I, I mean, the only other exposure is like, you know, when you go to the museums and they let you use the feather, <laughs> like the that's feather. as close I think as I've gotten. <laughs> well, listen, we're going to make sure that that comes your way and we're going to have to start wrapping this up because it's approaching an hour, but I do want to say having you on the show was very fascinating. Thank you for doing this and thank you for taking the time out. I really appreciate it. I know how busy you are doctoring and, and, you know, academia stuff and whatnot, teaching people all day long and dealing with mental health crises and stuff like that. So I really do appreciate, I'm humbled and thank you for being on this, this episode of the podcast. Well, thanks for having so, me. I had a lot of fun. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I, I myself have been opened up to the uh, the world of fountain pens, and at least uh, I got to revisit all of the cool. Oh, you know, you just had you just you're you just you just saw the tip of the iceberg. I'm gonna make you full boat Titanic crash into the into the iceberg. <laughs> all right, you're gonna you're gonna right. I'm gonna expose you to fountain pens. Before the pandemic, I coined a term that I stopped using because of the pandemic because it seemed like it was in poor taste, but I called it infecting others with the fountain pen virus oh, because yeah. yeah once you get it it's a bug and it's just persistent and it doesn't go away and the only the only cure is more fountain pens <laughs> i don't think it works that Apparently. way yeah but dr dr sarah Gesh, ladies and gentlemen and for everybody listening thanks again for joining us here on the episode number 137 of the pen boy Roy entertainment podcast thanks for listening love you guys be well be safe and this is where Tom would say stay inky, but he's not here. I'm going to say it for him. Stay inky.